Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So I'm excited again tonight. We have an award-winning author with us tonight, um, and he has work that he has has done and it's been published in New York Times. Uh, he is a, a New York Times bestselling author of eight books. Yep, count them, folks, eight. And uh, a communications classic called uh, Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When the Stakes Are High, which is one of the reasons why I wanted him to come on. Uh, I have so many people that listen in that are leaders uh, that have have expressed that this is something that they struggle with. And so I'm uh, going to have a great conversation. I already know. Um, and so I just want to introduce to you uh, Joseph Grinney. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Brian. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, same here. And so I know uh, I, I just want to jump right in because I, I know a little bit about your background, um, that you're a co-founder and a, a board chair of uh, Unitas Labs. Um, but also that you co-founded something referred to as the Other Side Academy uh, that's a residential school. So I'd love to hear a little bit about the work that you've been doing with organizations that you founded, uh, these nonprofits, um, and then we'll talk about a little bit about uh, your books. Well, great. Ha- happy to do that. And, uh, you know, the, the central fascination of my life has been human behavior, you know, the, the essence of all social science, which is really kind of my, my field, is, is answering two questions. Why are people doing what they're doing? And then, more importantly, how can you help them change in positive ways? So that's, that's been what, what I've focused on for my entire career. Most of that work has been in the for-profit, the organizational context, and that's where the, the books have been published, and I've spent a lot of time lecturing and training and researching in that, in that kind of venue. But Along the way, I, I started paying attention to other kinds of behavior. The Other Side Academy, we started eight years ago. It's a two-and-a-half-year free life skills program for people with long histories of crime, addiction, and homelessness. So today, eight years later, we have about 150 people living on our campus here in Salt Lake City. Uh, they stay again for two-and-a-half years. It costs them nothing. We don't charge the mm-hmm. government. We accept no insurance reimbursement. Mm-hmm. It's a self-reliant community that, uh, that helps people figure out what they need to change to have a better life. So it really is front and center, right in the strike zone of what has been important to me my entire life. We now have a second campus in Denver, Colorado. There are about 70 students living there on campus. Collectively, our students, over 200 today, would have been serving 1,500 years incarcerated if they had gone where the justice system was sending them. But instead, they come to the academy and they learn to make positive change. Mm-hmm. That sounds fascinating. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Um, and, and so you, your, your primary uh, roles, in the, you, you found, you've co-founded them. Uh, and and so you're doing some really great work with those 
Uh, Do you have any uh, exciting plans that are coming up with those? We do. So the the model continues to expand. We've had people come from around the world to try to learn how, how to help this to work. So you think about the whole rehab industry, and it's just, uh, it, it's just broken from the core because mm-hmm. uh, it charges exorbitant amount of money and produces almost no real human change. And mm-hmm. so here we have a model that's free, that's self-reliant, that is producing just profound change. And if anyone wants awesome. to go to the othersideacademy.com, all of the outcomes, the, the data, the, the accountability for what's happening in these lives is, is available there. The next project is to take that same self-reliant, life-changing model and apply it to homelessness. Mm-hmm. So in two weeks, we will break ground on a 400-home community for the chronically homeless that will have at its core this same what's called a democratic therapeutic community model where a peer community helps one another to transform their lives in a way that helps them sustainably get out of homelessness. And uh, we're very excited about that next project. Wow, that's great. Some great work. So um, tell me a little bit. I, I know that so you've been um, you, you've worked in organizational development and and you've you've talked courses in communications and professional development about performance and leadership. Uh, and, and so I, I'm sure a lot of your, your books came out of your work. Tell me a little bit about uh, some of your books and uh, the, one of the ones that is considered a communication uh, classic, which is uh, cr- Crucial Conversations. Uh, tell a little bit about how those, those evolved. Yeah, it's it's really the story of my career. So we started back in 1990, so 33 years ago, going into organizations and trying to apply the tools of organization development to help leaders better achieve their missions. So if we went into a factory, it was how could you improve output and productivity and employee retention. If it's a school, it's how do you improve school outcomes and the quality of the work experience for teachers or whatever was important to senior leaders in the organization, that's how we held ourselves accountable. So part one of our intervention model was to go in and deeply understand what are the results that leaders are not achieving. The second step, and this is sort of the central assumption of organization development, is we'd we'd ask, what are some of the behaviors that are disproportionately undermining your ability to achieve this result? So it's an interesting question. You go into a hospital, for example, who has a lot of uh, medical errors happening. And we ask the question, are there patterns, behavioral patterns across the organization that substantially contribute to these kinds of unintended outcomes, these errors in, mm-hmm. in delivering health care? Whether it was a software development firm, whether it was a healthcare organization, a school, time and time again, we found that some of the most problematic behaviors were how people behaved around emotionally and politically risky issues. Uh. When, when Problems needed to be discussed and confronted. The dysfunctional behavior around those issues is what most created mistrust and conflict and and increased lag time for getting to solutions with problems. We worked with organizations that eventually went bankrupt where they knew what the solutions were. The problem was they couldn't talk about the solutions or the problems. Their inability to get to some common understanding and unified response to some of these issues was the heart of the problem. So just a short example, back to healthcare. We were brought in to work with a hospital that had had a number of very highly publicized problems. One of them was they amputated the foot of a person who was checked in for a tonsillectomy. 
Oh, my goodness. So this is a big miss, right? I mean, you're off by an entire body length. Right, right. So that, you know, I'm sorry is not enough in a situation like this. So leaders obviously had to deal with the immediate aftermath of that, but then wanted to step back and say, why did this happen? And why do things like this happen routinely? It turned out the morning of that failed operation, there were no fewer than seven people who could have averted that disaster if they'd done one simple thing, Mm. and that was speak up. They, they mm. noticed some aberration. They noticed something out of what they'd expected, but they were unwilling or unable to speak up because they risked uh, provoking the ire of somebody that they didn't want to get on the other side of. Right. And so right. Th- this pattern we found time and time again in organization is, is that the, the issues that you could not discuss, instead of talking out, people acted out. They mm. acted in in dysfunctional ways around the issue that actually embedded the problem. And that's when we began paying attention to what we later called crucial conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I have uh, often found through uh, situations that I've, I've coached individuals that have been in leadership roles. And I know it may sound cliche, but I I really believe that communication is, and many of the issues from a leadership perspective that arise come because there was insufficient or inappropriate or inadequate uh, communication. And and so I, I encourage leaders that we are training and even just leaders that I might have a coaching relationship to is to be very uh, careful about the way they communicate, but, but know what it is they want to say, how they want to say it and the points they want to get across. And that's the reason I found uh, the article that I was telling you that really just made me want to write to you um, was the one you published earlier this year in the Harvard business review how to communicate a tough decision to your team. And for those of you who are listening in, I just recommend, it, especially if you're in a leadership role, that you, you, you read that article because it resonated, so much of it resonated with me, but mainly because of the, the things that you, you suggest that one needs to uh, kind of do, some of the principles that you need to consider when you are, are communicating um, a, a tough decision. But I, I, I thought also after reading it about how often it happens where people uh, don't really think about um, the implications of what it is that they're saying and, and plan for it. So uh, really plan for the the reactions, both emotional reactions and otherwise, that, that come out of information or communications that you've had. Uh, so I'd love to hear a little more, if you, if you don't mind expanding a bit, about your, uh, about your principles, as you've called them, uh, for communicating uh, tough decisions. Yeah, I'd be happy to, because, you know, this is a perfect illustration of what we call a crucial conversation. So you've got a leader that needs to share some really bad news. And, and most of us in those moments tend to fall into one of three traps. Either we procrastinate it, we put it off, 
which is really unfair to those we're sharing it with because it gives them less time to respond in a ceremonious way that protects their interests. Secondly, we, when we do announce it, we do it in a blame way. So it's real easy to throw up our management under the bus or, you know, the, uh, the, the district under the bus or, or somebody else and to say, you know what, I don't agree with this, but here's what those losers up there at HQ uh, decided to announce. Uh, or detachment. People will share something but are so emotionally detached that it, it creates less of a sense of sympathy and support for those than what they might need at that moment. So procrastination, blame, and detachment are the three things to watch out for. Now, I, I had a chance to be front and center in one of these experiences when I was asked to teach an eight-hour seminar for about 300 senior managers from a telecom one time. And right before I went on, the executive, the senior executive that was going to introduce me said, I, I have a short announcement I need to make, and, and then I have to cut out to a very important meeting. Well, I was kind of disappointed at that. It's kind of a signal to the group. But he gets up. He says, I'm going to introduce our speaker here in just a moment. But, folks, there's no easy way to say this. We're canceling two major projects. 20% of you are going to be let go. More details to come later. Now let's do our best to focus on Mr. Grenny's session today. And then he ran out of the room. So, yeah. you know, there you go. There you yeah. go. That's detachment. A classic example of it. And uh, that, that was not his finest moment. And it would be easy to throw rocks at him. But all of us have felt tempted to respond in that same way before. And so I, I shared in this article some of what I've gleaned in subsequent years when I've seen people do the opposite, when I've seen them step in vulnerably, engage in a real conversation, but share also honestly and directly something that might be a difficult announcement. The, the first is don't bury the lead. Yeah. So a, a lot of us spend far too long kind of leading up to the amputation. Don't do that. You know, don't, don't, if you got a foot to remove, don't do it one inch at a time. You know, just get the yeah. information out there, lead to the, uh, get to the lead as soon as you can. And, uh, and that's, that's the best way to put it out. Then you can start working on some of what follows next. Yeah. The second thing is just to take a pause for a moment. So after having shared it, so if there's going to be a downsizing coming up, you know, business conditions have demanded that for the survival of the enterprise, we're going to have to reduce staff. This is a painful and this is a difficult decision that we've come to. And then pause for a second. Make eye contact with people. Don't just jump ahead with facts and figures. Let people breathe. The eye contact is important so that they can see the humanity that you're feeling in that moment, too. Uh, the third, you want me to just continue down the list here, Brian? Yes, yes, absolutely. Great. In interrupt with better insights anywhere along the way. I'm sure you've got yeah. plenty to share in this. But So the, the, the third step, having shared the facts, pause for a moment, is just to offer understanding and take responsibility. But don't do so in a way that gets you to expect agreement. Explain the logic of the decision as best you can. But, but don't expect that in that emotional moment you're going to persuade people that this is for the greater good and that they're going to jump on board with it. Let them be wherever they are emotionally. Lower your expectations. But do, do offer them the benefit of laying out the logic. Here are the four other options that we've considered before we looked at this layoff or canceling this project. And here are the reasons those didn't make sense to us. The, the next step is to just show some empathy. So don't rush it. Acknowledge the impact of the decision. Recognize that there are people that have invested their lives in this project or their careers that have sacrificed a lot, that have, have made significant contributions and how sad you are that they won't be able to see it through to completion as well. 
So just acknowledge and validate what's going on with the group. Mm-hmm. Next, end with openness. So you, you close with an invitation for both conversation and support. If you've got 500 people in the room, you might be able to do a little bit of Q&A. But don't expect a resolution. Don't expect applause. People are going to need time to process it, so don't expect all the questions that need to be answered to, to come up right there in that moment. Offer them your email address, your phone number, whatever it is is the right forum for them to be able to ask questions or express themselves to you however they want and need. Mm-hmm. And then finally, prove that you actually were that open. The only thing that will convince people that you're sincere about your promise of support Uh, For example, helping them in their transition, helping them find other options, or whatever, again, is the impact of the decision you're announcing. For example, I've made it a general rule in my life that when I've let people go, even for cause, we had a guy that I fired once because he had burglarized the office next door. Mm. So, you know, dude's going to jail after this. But he's still a human being, and it devastated his family. And there were a lot of stressful circumstances that brought him to this really bad decision. And I visited this guy before he was going to be sent off to jail. I visited him in jail. I kept in touch with him, not because I was trying to soften the blow, not because he didn't damage our company, but because he's a human being. And I think that's where you have a chance to show your real humanity is to follow through on your expressions of sympathy with Mm -hmm. those that your decision might negatively affect. Yes, yes. Well, you know, one one thing that you mentioned early on um, was in, in the article was that you talked about uh, not not letting your desire to be liked overshadow your mm-hmm. integrity. Um, and I know mm-hmm. that I've I've struggled when I've coached people around, especially in leadership roles, where it was really really important for them for people to like them, and so they. They wanted to place blame somewhere else or, uh, or say it wasn't me, it wasn't my decision, because if it were my decision, I would have done this or that. And, there you go. And, and so really it didn't make the situation better. But there's th- what appears to be, and, I, and I, I'm sure I am over-assigning it to kind of changing times, but I uh, I have said frequently to my colleagues, it just seems like so many people, particularly in leadership, want to be liked more than before <laughs> for some reason. You know, mm. it's a good old day, mm. so to speak. But it's that that it's that piece of of really trying to maintain your your position, uh, and and part of it is that when you're in a leadership position. Uh, you do have to communicate that we're going in a direction that's different, maybe even different than I said we were. It may be your decision, but that there are going to be people, no matter what, that are not comfortable with that and don't like it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And these really are moments of integrity. I like the way you said that, that, you know, we can let our desire to be liked overshadow our integrity and also our duty in that moment. If you're a senior manager in this organization, your job is to represent the organization to the people. Your job is to care about the people as well, but but whether you agreed with the decision or not, you've got two choices. If you can't ethically support it, it's time for you to quit. Mm -hmm. And you could do that in in, in good conscience. But if you're going to stay on board and continue to take their money, then it's your obligation to stand and represent the position, not, not, not just you as a human being. 
Um, you are representing the organization. Those are tough situations to be in. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and really walking in your leadership role, because I, that's the way I took when you talked about don't bury the lead, um, you know, that that walking in that role uh, means that you're, you're going to have to give the announcements. You're going to, uh, in some cases, be the one that has to deliver bad news. And I, one thing about communication that I learned is that sometimes in difficult situations, I found that there are a number of leaders that try to wing it without really thinking about in this situation, this is what I should say. And somehow thinking that it's, it's disingenuous or unauthentic, but I think there's nothing wrong with thinking about what you want to say carefully so that those points come across and don't just rely on your, you know, extemporaneous uh, expressions to, to guide you because sometimes it fails that in the emotion of the moment, uh, and especially what all the research says about what gets engaged in during emotional times, is that it's really difficult to engage that uh, prefrontal cortex that is in charge of language and reasoning. It's hard to do that. And yeah. so you might yeah. want to, uh, at, dare I say, practice before you deliver bad information or difficult information. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And in fact, I think a lot of us are so worried about being impressive rather than human that we feel like that that would be a sign of weakness to write it out or practice in advance or something like that. And you know, that's not the case at all. I, I once watched a leader uh, sharing some really difficult news who said uh, basically this before she started to, to deliver the message. She said, um, this is one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to announce. I care deeply about the effect it's going to have on many of the people that are in the room here, and it's so important to me to get this right that I've written out what I want to share, and then I'm happy to have a, an open-ended conversation with you afterwards. And then went on to read that statement. Just that setup, just that frame That's gave her right. permission to That's just right. sort of read that, and it, it didn't come across as inhumane or as insensitive or scripted or something like that. It showed that she had sweated over this to yeah. try to make sure she got it right. Yes, yes. And, and the acknowledgement of your own humanity, uh, that yeah. I don't want to get this wrong. I want to say the right things. Uh, and, and so I often also found that uh, saying as little as possible, uh, you know, sometimes that's not the best thing because you leave people to to fill in the, the gaps. You know, they, if you don't if you don't give enough information, but there are times when you can say too much, and 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 people walk away ups, even more upset because uh, there were things that that um, didn't need to be said that that did not add to an already bad situation. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah, and some of that falls under the don't bury the lead category too. Just, you know, get get the, the basic information out there, address the most likely misunderstandings that you want to ensure get addressed proactively, and then open it up for questions. Yeah, 
Yeah. So we've been talking mostly about what happens when you want to do that in a group setting. Is what about in, in with individuals? Are there different considerations when it's one on one, or is it pretty much the same? I think the principles are the same, but probably the durations are shorter. I mean, if, if you have a complex organizational announcement to make, you, you might go on for, you know, 12, 13 minutes or something with the prepared announcement because it's kind of complex. But if I'm in a one-on-one situation and let's say, for example, I'm going to be letting somebody go, um, that, that prefatory information, the setup of it ought to be pretty short and sweet. Um, get the logic clear, get the reasoning clear, and make the decision clear, and then, uh, then deal with the consequences of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and no matter what, there are, there are times when even with the best preparation, the best plan, it doesn't go the way you want it. I, I recall, and I think I've shared even here once before, uh, that I recall um, that I, I had a situation where there was someone that um, I supervised that actually had done a really good job and we hired some other people it actually she had stepped in at a time when we were we had some vacancies and took on some additional responsibilities with with really no additional compensation but just i want to do this for the organization and was really good at doing it and it was it Mm. it was for short term it was just you know maybe a few months but while we were getting ready to make some additional hires. And I remember before, well, w- once the, the individuals came on board, I remember uh, thinking about the conversation I wanted to have because I needed to take some of those things off of her plate. And, and so I structured it where I talked about all the things, we enumerated all the things that she had taken on extra and so I said, okay, so here's what I need. And maybe the, it was, it was a setup. Maybe it, for me, it was the setup that was taking too long. Um, but I, we, we spent some time talking about how great of a job she had done. And then I said, so I'm going to need to reassign some of these uh, responsibilities to some of the new people. And the response I got was absolutely unanticipated uh, which was mm. he got very upset that, and mm. it was as if I did not say that she had done a great job at them, but it was it was uh, something that she didn't want to have happen, and so yeah. maybe maybe the the error in the individual there was I did bury the lead, but then you know so you could you you know you can you can overthink it sometimes, but. Um, but in individual situations, you never know how people are going to respond to. Yeah, no, you don't. But what, what you can expect is two things. First of all, if something is happening that is damaging to them, they're going to feel something about it. And number right. two, if there's some personal responsibility that you're hoping they'll eventually take, it's unlikely to happen in that moment. The human That's capacity right. for self-deception is almost infinite. So, you know, no matter how well you've walked somebody through the the discipline process and made clear to them that this was an eventual possibility or whatever, if you're letting them go, they're going to be mad at you and they're going to be hurt. And they're going to blame you. 
So That's right. You, you just get ready for it. And the, the emotional process doesn't start until you stop talking. So mm-hmm. we, we often think that if I just sort of control a microphone for a long time and tell them how much I love them and all the good stuff they've done and how sorry we are to say, or all that kind of stuff, that that's going to help. It doesn't. It just heightens anxiety. It's kind of yeah. like that suspense music in a horror movie going on longer and longer. And all of you just waiting and for, for this you know, serial killer to jump out from the dark. They know you're a serial, serial killer. <laughs> they just, they yeah. just want it to get started. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, I, look, I, we're already almost out of time. I wanted to give you an opportunity because I know there are probably people out there that want to uh, follow you. Uh, you have a, a host of really great uh, books that you've written and, and recognized. So I would love for you to share with people any social media handles, emails, websites, anything like that you want to share and and where they might get some of uh, your work. I know there's several articles in Harvard Business Review, and that's why I was saying these are, are quick tips for leaders and others. Um, but please uh, let people know how they can follow you and um, uh, get a chance to see your work. Great. Thank you. So the, the probably the easiest place to get started with some of our material is the, the book Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. It's available anywhere. Uh, the other that's really the platform of all of our work is called Crucial Influence. Uh, these are leadership skills for making uh, lasting behavior change. And this is how to think about how to influence uh, deep and lasting change in an organization, a team, or even in people's individual lives. So those are sort of the the basic materials that we've produced. The website for the company is cruciallearning.com. And uh, for those that were interested in the Other Side Academy, if you know somebody out there that's struggling and that really needs help with long-term change, go to theothersideacademy.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, listen, Joe, I, I so appreciate you joining me for this conversation. I, and just like your articles, I've learned a lot Great talking to you, and I'm sure listeners uh, did the same. Just wishing you the best uh, and, and the work that you're doing. I'm going to be listening and reading and, and continuing to follow your work. Um, and so I hope to hear from you again. Uh, but until then, go well, stay well. Likewise. Thank you so much, Brian. Appreciate your work. 